I would just say there's one misperception of our veterans, and that is they are somehow damaged goods. Although if we tell our veterans enough that this is what's wrong with them, they may actually start believing it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dead Reckoning Radio. It's episode 20, where we had Serena and Eric Carberry. Serena is finishing her final year of her undergraduate at UC Irvine, where she's studying psychology sciences, while Eric is a corpsman with the Navy, looking to possibly move on to the next chapter of his life. In this episode, we focus mainly on Serena's research project that she's conducting at UC Irvine. The study needs military families with a child of the age 7 to 16, in which the husband has been to combat and experienced a traumatic event. They're hoping to find solutions that will help advance mental health awareness and treatment for the veteran community. As a military spouse, Serena has a unique perspective of what's going on within the veteran healthcare system. Eric and Serena were awesome to have on the show with us. We thoroughly enjoyed it. We hope you do as well. Hey guys, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you guys? Good. Good. It's a... Uh... It's a first here for us. Uh, I think we've only had a couple uh, couple podcasts with all four people on, and then uh, we've definitely never had a married couple on. So <laughs> I don't know when the next time will be either, but um, but I'm really glad you guys are able to join us. Um, so if you want to just start off, uh, I don't know who wants to go first, but <laughs> just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and you know your background and uh, and where you're at today. Cool. Yeah, so uh, my name is Serena Carberry, and uh, I am currently a senior at the University of California, Irvine, and I am studying psychological science, and I am working in a military uh, family study lab at UCI under a couple other doctors there. And um, I grew up in sunny Orange County, California, and a pretty normal upbringing, Uh, good home, good parents. Uh, Neither of my parents were military, but my grandfather was, and I grew up listening to stories about him, and he was actually in World War II, and he was a bombardier and got shot down over uh, Belgium, Germany, yeah, Um, and he was actually captured by the Germans and uh, spent some time as a POW in Luftstallung III, so yeah, I grew up watching a lot of History Channel and hearing all kinds of crazy stories about him, reading his letters home to my grandma, so I definitely always had an interest in the military. You know, I'm, I'm that person who's like, oh, you know, I almost joined, but, you know, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person, you know. Yeah. Um, but that brought me uh, through high school, college. I originally was pursuing a nursing degree and eventually found out I have a very weak stomach. And so I decided to start <laughs> pursuing psychology. And um, once I got started in that, I was like, you know, I don't want to just work in divorce or marriage and family therapy. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's definitely needed. But I was like, you know, I want to do something that that really matters, something that there's a big gap in right now. And I started doing some research and found the field of military psychology. And I was like, oh, man, like, I've never met anybody who does this. You know, what does that even look like? Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of started looking at some career options, you know, if I should get a master's degree after my undergrad or if I should pursue my PhD. And eventually that led me to the conclusion that, uh, I wanted to pursue my PhD in clinical psychology and in some capacity work with either active duty or uh, retired and veteran populations. And something that stands out to me these days is the uh, veteran and active duty suicide rate. It's substantially higher than what we see in the typical civilian population. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got there, there's healthcare. like why, you know, you have mm-hmm. access to the solutions, quote unquote. So why isn't it working? 
Um, so yeah, I'm coming up on my last uh, two quarters here at UC Irvine working in uh, trauma and related studies and looking forward to applying to some PhD programs this fall. So that's where I'm at right now. What's, awesome. the, what's the difference between just a psychology degree and psychology science? I know you said that. It's just, it's kind of like a silly uh, university distinction. Mm. Um, it was before at my university, they're just in the process of changing it from psychology and social science to psychological science, probably to sound more legitimate. Yeah. Mm. So, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any uh, specific schools that you're looking into for your doctorate? Yeah, I've got a list of about 10 schools. Um, I know you guys know Megan Mobs, so I'm actually oh, yeah. planning on applying to Columbia and. Uh, cool. I'm applying really all over the country, about 10 schools that I'm looking at right now. Have you reached out to her? I have messaged her, like a repeated fangirl on Instagram (laughs) several times, yeah. (laughs) She's pretty smart. Yeah, she's pretty smart. When we had her on, she's almost intimidating. Are you going to be doing that remotely, or uh, do you think you'll be able to keep up the the in-class study? Yeah, definitely for a PhD, you need to be there. Um, it's mm. a full-time job. You usually can't really work or anything like that while you're doing that. So yeah. our life will definitely be in limbo for a little bit. Yeah. 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 Wait. <laughs> well, what about you, Alex? Uh, well, I'm Alex Carberry, uh, spouse of Serena Carberry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was really kind of a match made in heaven when, when we met each other, just as far as uh, her passion for the military um you know my background is uh i joined the navy at 19 uh wanted to be a corpsman wanted to work with the marines um don't know why i wanted that so bad but i'm glad i did and uh, uh i was with uh fifth marine regiment for almost four years i think it was uh did two non-combat de- uh mu deployments and i uh, really enjoyed that uh, had plenty of time with uh, uh infantry platoon there um Where and at? Uh, three, uh, so out of the 31st Mew, so out of Okinawa, um, visited Hong Kong, Malaysia, uh, okay. Philippines, yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, um, you guys have terrible duty stations. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, you know, a combination of, you know, my experiences and then the voice that she helps bring me, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we can make a powerful force and, and can really help a lot of people and, you know, I, I think that she's helped me help myself too. Um, you know, effortlessly almost. So. And so, since you've got out, have you gone to school as well, or? So I'm actually still in. Um, I'm at oh, a short command now. Uh, let's see. Did you I, request uh, that, or? Uh, it was so the Navy does like a sea and shore rotation. So you do a couple years deployable and then a couple years on the shore. So I'm on my shore rotation now. Uh, I guess the biggest thing with my career as of late is uh, dealing with some uh, medical issues with my back. Um, they considered uh, medically separating me, and that gives that gave me a very up close and personal um, experience with the separation, the medical separation process, um, the VA evaluations process. Uh, ultimately, the Navy decided to retain me for for now, at least for uh, treatment, um, and I'm grateful for that actually. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's. It's been a kind of a unfortunate, I guess, experience. But um, I, I don't, I don't think we'd be talking to you guys if I mm-hmm. hadn't had that, and Serena hadn't been exposed to everything that I mm-hmm. went through. So yeah. And so is that cool? And that's what led you going into school was his process in itself, or? Um. So it definitely hasn't hurt. It's definitely <laughs> kept the 
the fire lit. Um, I definitely wanted to go into this field even before I met Alex. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why. I grew up and I always just was like, you know what, I think it'd be really cool to work with uh, military personnel. You know, they deserve the help more, in which, you know, everybody deserves help if they need it. But, uh, yeah, it's always just had a special place in my heart. And so seeing him go through this process and, you know, getting to get that, like, porthole into what it's like to be in the military and not have to do it is pretty cool. <laughs> um, and it's... <laughs> It's definitely helpful, and it helps me uh, kind of guide my career path and where I'm going to be the most effective. Because for a while, I was like, oh, you know, I think it'd be really cool to, like, get commissioned and go in as a, a – I, you know, forgive me if I don't know the proper terms. One of the three of you can correct me um, – as an active duty psychologist, you know. And we kind of talked about that, and we were like, you know, I think possibly I could make more impact and give more help if I wasn't part of the system necessarily because mm -hmm. it allows you to detach and really look at the, the inside and the workings that contribute to the problems that we're seeing with veterans nowadays. Mm -hmm. Well, like, and I mean, being, being a spouse, I think definitely gives you some sort of street cred. Yeah. <laughs> right? It doesn't I mean, hurt. Yeah. <laughs> without, without demanding that private salute you and stuff at the gate, and all, that, all the, all the stereotypes that do. come with that. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Um, it's, uh, I think it does, it gives you some, at least a leg to stand on at the very least. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's that's really cool. Those doors for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, for this, for this research project, she's got, uh, she's like, Oh, Oh, uh, I, I get told to go contact the, the fro. I don't really know what that is for like certain yeah, like, units. And I'm like, what does oh, that even mean? Hold on. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've got 20 phone numbers and 50 emails for her the next yeah. day. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that you mentioned so, it, will you go right into that, uh, start talking about that research project? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you got something pretty cool going on. Yeah, so it's pretty cool that you guys are allowing me to talk about this. Um, so I work under um, Dr. Allison Zalta at uh, University of California, Irvine, and we're currently doing a study for military families. And so it is an on-location uh, study, and it does require that you come into the campus twice. Uh, but there is financial reimbursement and uh, in compensation for the study. And then you also get compensated for university parking. Uh, just things I have to dis disclose before I can talk about the study. Um, and we're basically That's looking at... probably important at, in California, so... Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, are, I are there snacks, my parking pass. <laughs> Are there snacks? Uh, <laughs> you get some water? Uh, <laughs> in the lobby. Yeah, the in the lobby for any Marines <laughs> to come in. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Crayola, Primo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so we're basically looking for uh, combat exposed fathers and uh, who have children between the ages of seven and 16 years old. And we're looking for ideally the whole family unit to come in. So mother, father and child. Um, and we will if you if uh, anybody feels like they want to contact us, um, we will do a phone screener to make sure that you, uh, anybody's eligible to apply for our study. Um, and then it's uh, two, two to three hour sessions at the university. And we're basically the goal of the study is looking at how combat um, alters family structure and how fathers who are combat exposed, uh, how that affects their family dynamic with their kids and their spouses and all that kind of stuff. So uh, without disclosing too much, without informed consent, um, you know, it's it's ideally we're looking at better ways to treat uh, families who are coping with combat exposure and how that affects the family unit. Hmm. By developing programs like that would, you know, you would kind of prep with, like in, yeah. in terms of like preventative medicine. Uh, preventative would be great. Um, I think in the field of military psychology, that is going to 
be pretty far down the line. Uh, prevention mm-hmm. is definitely somewhere that yes. the military should start paying attention to. It is beyond frustrating. For, for everything. Yeah, for <laughs> fine, <laughs> mental, <laughs> literally, whatever. Like, let's prevent these things. Let's take care of our people. Um, but this is more looking at uh, clinical interventions post-exposure. So how we can, uh, in knowing where to even start. And so we're looking at different ways that uh, combat exposed fathers transmit their trauma to their kids, you know, and how it affects their kids and what, and what elements of life they're really feeling at the most. Wow. So what kind of spawned this idea other than like your exposure to the military in itself, but like what's Um, the, what's the current medicine or what's the current treatment and therapy? Yeah. Uh, So a big uh, stress is a huge buzzword in the field of psychology you know unfortunately i am just an undergrad i am not making mobs or any phd holding person yet so i did not create this study i'm <laughs> fortunate enough to have been boarded on as a team member and as a research assistant and i'm actually head of the recruiting process for participants um, oh, awesome but yeah the current medicine and the current standing is that you know stress affects you the mind-body connection is really becoming super recognized and so not only does stress affect your your emotional processing and your daily functions, it actually affects the DNA inside your body. And that affects how you handle additional stress and additional life circumstances. And so we're starting to see a lot of this biological data come out and it's like, Oh shoot, like maybe we should start thinking about how to integrate that into mental health and Hmm. how we can use that in a clinical setting. So are you guys doing a lot of like supplementary research on people that um, previously came from backgrounds like this? Like maybe like from like the Vietnam era, like like baby boomers and stuff, or uh, like um, is that is that playing any kind of part in in this project, or like where you know you may you may actually have someone who uh, experienced something like this previously. Um. So with any uh, big study, you do a big research proposal to get grant yeah. funding. And you do a huge literature review, and I wasn't in the lab uh, when that was happening. Um, I could have Allison provide you guys with some more information on that part of that. Um, but we are looking for people who currently have children from the age of 7 to 16, so it would be mostly GWAT vets. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we have learned so much in the field of psychology from Vietnam-era veterans that, you know, even outside of research, things that are just known in the field, <laughs> the way right. we need to handle things now. Um, but, yeah, not directly. No, not for this study. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, where where do you see the project going? I mean, past obviously getting as many people in as you can, and uh, and taking the research as far as you can. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I am pending graduation from the university in March of 2020. Uh, so, as far as my role in the project will be pending. Uh, hopefully, someone will take me for my own PhD somewhere else. Um, but these kind of studies, they can take years really to get, especially where we're looking for such a specific, uh, population that isn't necessarily densely populated in Irvine. Um, uh, so yeah, that one's kind of open-ended right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tyler. No, it it was, it was something that I was going to ask something along the lines with the, the Vietnam era, uh, veteran. Um, oh, so does anybody's uh, history prior to the military or prior to the exposure of war factor into this uh, research? Yeah, it does. Um, so with most uh, psych studies, you have to look at like mental health history and, uh, you know, physical health, family factors. Um, unfortunately, because of 
regulations. I can't necessarily disclose all that information, um, but if anybody, you know, shows interest in the study, we definitely uh, screen okay. for all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, no. Um, yeah, no, I know. I think probably because what Tyler's getting at is like with uh, I know with the VA, like when they do the mental health screening and stuff, that's part of what they ask. They they ask about your upbringing. They ask about your background. They ask yeah. about things, things totally not related to your military career to see, mm-hmm. you know, what you're more susceptible. And, and it always kind of blew my mind that like, I mean, they do TBI screenings now yeah. prior to deployment and then they scan you again when you get back. Mm-hmm. But they don't do anything like that prior to the military. Like I was asked a lot of questions at the VA that no one asked me at MEPS. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what I've always found so interesting as well as they, you know, like you're talking about prevention medicine. Well, we, as a soldier, corpsman or sailor, Marine, airman, I don't know how it is in other fields, but in the army, they get a very basic medical history on you. And there's not really a baseline created. Mm-hmm. And even prior to me deploying I remember kind of doing a TBI screening, but maybe I have, maybe since my TBI, I don't really remember it that well, but it wasn't very in depth. And so now as I'm approaching the VA and I'm talking to them about my issues with memory and sleep or whatever, they don't really have anything to base it off of other than just what I'm telling them. And they don't have anything to evaluate. And the military is the perfect area for people to get this data and and actually use it but it just seems like the collection of it and the retention of it it's just not it's just not good yeah. right now on, yeah. on that point uh we're getting better at that um i know on both of my deployments we actually did pretty pretty uh invasive uh testing for tbis to get like a baseline cognitive where you know you get questions where it's like you know which uh which shape is smaller which shape fits inside the other shape and you got like six seconds to answer the question and it takes like an hour to do that and then you're supposed to do it when you get back but the weak point is sometimes that the medical infrastructure in the unit like i know that uh on at least one of my two deployments like we we never followed through with that we never got the you know you do the pre-screening and we had civilians run that and then we were responsible for the post-screening and we just never did it because everybody went on leave and then people PCS or got out. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, that's a kind of a double-edged sword too. Cause when I was facing getting out, uh, I was, um, and, and then of course, in addition to the TBI screening, they do mental health screeners to see like, you know, what kind of stressors you were exposed to on deployment, whether it was combat related or not, they still want to know they okay. care. Yeah. Um, and I never got my last, um, Post-deployment health reassessment, I think, is the official term for it. And that got flagged when Would have done you some favors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that got when I uh, was facing getting out and getting my VA um, uh, VA mental health screener or mental health disability, uh, disability evaluation. And uh, the, the VA employee was very frank with me. And he said, well, there's not a whole lot of documentation here. You're telling me some kind of serious things. What do you want to do when you get out? And I said, I'm extremely interested in being an engineer, specifically electrical. He says, well, what I'm asking is, do you think you'll be working for a government agency or do you think you'll need a top secret security clearance when you get out? I said, I don't know, perhaps. And he says, if I put this in here, this could ruin your chances. And uh, Hmm. that kind of that kind of messed with me a little bit (laughs) because I was like, I have nothing wrong that could compromise anything. And there are thousands of other people just like me. But it's something that and the guy was just being honest with me. And it's I think it's a system problem in that aspect definitely yeah i mean that's such an issue like i was just talking to a, a doctor that i uh, interact with at uc irvine and i was ask, actually asking them to write me a letter of recommendation for graduate school you know and i kind of said 
the the mental health system within the military is relatively flawed. Like we can see that, you know, and I got mm. this whole lecture back because she, uh, the individual has a history with the military and, you know, it was like, oh, well, active duty, they all have access to mental health care. Like it doesn't affect their active duty career. Like don't let anyone tell you differently. And it's like, yeah, you have access to it, but that doesn't mean like, I'm not worried about the, the confidentiality. I'm worried about like, um, the stigma that comes with it, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it's like, there's the fear of ruining your career, your, your friends thinking, Oh, why didn't you show up at PT this morning? Like, where were you? And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you have the confidentiality not to tell them that you were at mental health, but now it's going to be like, where, where, where were you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and the other side of it, I don't know like how much your, your experience goes with it, but like it's, it's subpar. Yeah. most times right and it part of that is because they're out of practice and the other part of that is because nine times out of ten patients are not voluntary mm -hmm. they are walked to behavioral health i had a soldier who i walked to behavioral health um you know for for depression and suicidal ideations uh they cut him loose with meds and put him back on a job that required him to uh draw a nine millimeter so I was like, I, I walked back and, and as, as an E5, uh, went up one side and down the other of a, a Fulbert Colonel because I was like, how, what, what are you guys doing over here? Yeah. What are you, you know, even this kid yeah. early, earlier in the day, this kid said he wanted to kill himself. And then you sent him back to a job with antipsychotic medications and, uh, he drew his weapon. Like it was no big thing. And no one, no one contacted the unit or anything. So like yeah. they're, they're out of practice. And, and like I said, like nine times out of 10, their patients are involuntary. Mm -hmm. um, it's when there's a substance abuse issue, it's, it's boxes to check. Right. Exactly. So, and like you were saying, like the stigmas are supposedly being broken down, but we've, I feel like we've gone from, you know, totally like having all these walls up and, and, you know, a lot of stigma to idolizing victimology and, mm -hmm. and all that. So, Absolutely. Um, it's, it's difficult, but again, that's why it's good that you have some sort of perspective that probably a lot of your classmates do not. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, I work with mostly women and none, it, not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, but um, none of them are veterans or have any relation to the military whatsoever, you know, and I'm reading through some of these things on a study and I'm like, okay, how are we defining combat deployed? You know, I'm like, do you have to have the the patch or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you need the ribbon to be combat deployed. How are we defining mm -hmm. this in our study? Like what's the qualifying characteristic? Because just because you haven't been to combat doesn't mean you've been trauma exposed, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't mean you haven't had any trauma with your time in the service. And so much of military psych is being conflated for just PTSD. And it's like, let's take a step back and look at depression, anxiety, suicidality. There's so many more facets that go into this than just PTSD, yeah. you know, which well, is like become the label. Yeah, and like you're probably familiar with it um, as a fangirl, but like Mobs has yeah. done a lot of research and put a lot of effort into uh, redefining, you know, the different stresses and transition stresses. Her, you know, that that's going to be her her milestone. Like, um, it, because a lot of people are claiming PTSD that may not have mm -hmm. that, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong with them. It's just exactly. like that's not the know, right label. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know people who after their first, <laughs> second or third deployment and by people, I mean like maybe one or two were uh, administratively discharged from either the Navy or the Marines with a failure to adapt 
discharge. And it's like, well, maybe, hold on, maybe this person would have a diagnosis such as mm -hmm. transition stress. Uh, transitioning yeah. into the military is different from back home from to deployment, back home from mm -hmm. deployment. Um, uh, even transitioning from a single guy into you know in the barracks to a married man, you know, now with a dog, like <laughs> just as well. Mm. <laughs> and it's crazy too because if you look at the headlines right now, uh, in probably about thirty or forty years, all those guys who got failure to adapt uh, discharges and they were like you know general or other than honorable or anything like that, they're going to get a payout because that's what's happening with Vietnam veterans right now. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. It's it's unfortunate that like the DOD continues to not learn from mistakes yeah. like when they're when they're paying for them as we speak. Um, this is this is kind of a, a preemptive question of when you actually start practicing medicine, and, and it kind of goes along the lines where Keith was saying a lot of the I guess patients or clients, whatever you want to call them, that are going there are involuntary. I know mm -hmm. a handful of people that probably have some form of PTSD or some kind of depression or something like that. But they just, I guess the the clinicians aren't very approachable. How would you make mm -hmm. yourself a little more approachable or at least mental health a little more approachable? I know that's more of a, that's a very broad category and more of a, an organization thing or a social thing. But what do you think needs to kind of happen to make it more approachable to go seek help? Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's a super important question, you know, prep me for my grad school interviews here. Hopefully that I'll be going on in a couple months. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think with the, like, it's like I mentioned before, like all these researchers, doctors that I work with, like they don't know what the military as an organization looks like. You know, there's a lot of dark humor. There's a lot of rambunctiousness, I guess, for <laughs> lack of a better word, you know, things aren't going to present the same way in a Marine, you know, as they would in like a 35 year old woman with two kids, you know what I mean? Like the way they come in and present, like they're probably going to make jokes about it, self-deprecate, you know, all different kinds of things. And so I think being approachable to, to uh, service members who are seeking or involuntarily being forced to seek uh, mental health is kind of meeting them at their level, you know, and not having this like lab coat syndrome where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm this distinguished doctor, you know, and you're just someone you're, uh, enlisted, whoever, or your officer, whatever, you know, it's very much like you have to meet them on their level. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, like Megan mobs. She always posts on her Instagram, you know, all these like therapy jokes, you know, all those memes and stuff. And yeah. it's like, okay, but that's really going to open someone's door to being like, Oh, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to go in and talk to this person, you know, really breaking mm -hmm. down those walls of like, you sit on a couch, I sit over here, really looking at a more functional form of therapy. Yeah. I think so. I think I think her being non-military, non-active duty, non-officer, that's really going to help as well. I know when when I first approached the the mental health system about a year and a half ago, uh, I had a couple appointments with our um, uh, staff psychologist at my uh, my unit, and this person was a thirty-something year veteran of the military, uh, now a contractor uh, working for the military, and they were very. Um, institutionalized i use that term matter of factly not insulting of course yeah i don't um, think anybody, was, any I, i'm pretty sure anybody who's double dipping isn't like institute like i yeah, don't know yeah, you have to be like, institutionalized if you're if you're on your second retirement uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh i i think that person was extre is extremely they're a fantastic psychologist and they're extremely aware of of the fact that, you know, they are who they are. So the first thing they did was refer me to a non-military psychologist, hmm. off-base, um, 
they uh, looked for a specialist that you know could offer me exactly what I needed, and that was that was great. It was the best thing for me at that point in time in my life. And um, I think you know for Serena to be able to be one of those people that you know military psychologists can reach out to and refer patients to, that would be fantastic. Well, and, and I think it will help with this this transition stress or how to actually talk to somebody who we it's easy to talk to people who are relatable people who've experienced the same things but for me one of the best things is talking to people who have no idea what i'm talking about because then it just kind of pulls me away from that environment starts Mm -hmm. putting me in this new environment and then it forces me to adjust kind of this norm and not necessarily i'm catering catering or altering my personality by any means but it's helping with transition to be like okay this is how normal civilization acts talks and all that you know so it just it forces me to think more in a civilized term than the the military yeah no absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean a lot of guys guys and girls you know uh they get out and they go to college and it's like whoa how do i'm 20 whatever 30 whatever 40 whatever how do i talk to this like 19 year old kid who works at starbucks like you know what i mean like they're not going to understand where i'm coming from on both ends and so i think teaching uh teaching veterans how to really do that in a functional manner is super important you know and not isolate themselves yeah absolutely Mm. yeah alex so are you still thinking about electrical engineering i know you were talking about that before yeah, I definitely am. I come from a family of engineers. Uh, yeah. Always enjoyed kind of making making things, uh, pulling things apart, never figuring out how to put things back together again until that <laughs> came around. Um, how does that play into being a corpsman? It's so funny, too, because it made me realize like how wild like my career path has really been. And I thought I was just going to be a cookie cutter. Okay, four or five, six years in the military, get out, go to college, do whatever. But I didn't realize at any given month, uh, of my last, it's been exactly six years as of yesterday since I've been in, um, I've wanted to do something different. Uh, most of it was in general, wanted to be a nurse in some way, shape or form. Um, and it wasn't until I realized until I got, I'm stationed at a hospital now is where I am, um, that I realized, oh boy, I don't want to do this for any organization that isn't the military. And, mm-hmm. um, I love being a corpsman. I, I much prefer doing a green side. I will do it with the, the blue side, Navy side. Um, but I don't want to do it outside the military. Uh, just it's not cut out for me. And so I started looking at my other options. And uh, I don't know. I, I think electrical engineering is is gonna. I I don't know. I guess I inherited it from my dad to some extent. Late late. Who's in electrical yeah. engineering? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, that kind of brought me around to that. So. Cool. It's, it's easy for because I, I was a medic in the army, and, uh-huh. and I'm actually. No paramedic and outside of it and working mm-hmm. in the clinical settings it's not fun to be honest <laughs> so and yeah. it, the emergency room is the most fun but uh as a just a paramedic it, it's it's not that fun because you're, you're pretty restricted i was able to perform minor surgeries at an emt mm-hmm. level in the military now <laughs> yeah. uh yeah. i was able to give an iv and so it doesn't translate nearly mm-hmm. as, as it should to the to the civilian side but once you learn like the human body it, it's easy to learn how how a house is built it's it's easy to learn how cars yeah. work it's easy to learn the grid system of, of electric um, electrical engineering it's just it's nature's way of showing us the human right. body compared to the natural world yeah everything's so systemic systematic yeah. um yeah, it's it's been great since i've known serena for going on two years now um i built a whole bunch of furniture for 
yeah, for our apartment, apartment here. And yeah. uh, it, it's, it's been great just sitting there. Um, your dad can't do much with his hands because of how sick he is, but teaching me how to use his tools and everything. And it's like, wow, I really would like to just scale this, you know, gather as much of this information as I can. Um, you know, self-sufficiency is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and, and, working sure. with your, and working with your hands is, is great for, for mental health. Anything that any therapist ever said is being able to be fully attentive into, into one specific project. It, it pulls you away from anything else. And so I, I can definitely relate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely see that uh, stress release, the ability to focus, give purpose, all that kind of stuff with any hobby like that or yeah. career. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Alex, you know that like with Serena going into this field, you're not going to be able to get away with really anything. Like you're going to have to, she's <laughs> probably going to be picking your brain all the time. <laughs> Does that happen now? You know, it's kind of funny because um, I definitely have to put those moments in check where it's like, okay, you can't psychoanalyze your husband. Like, that's not okay, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I have to be careful to not be like, oh, like pry into areas where it's not necessarily the time to pry. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, we're married and like, you know, obviously emotional intimacy is very important in that. But um, knowing the time and place to to dig for my own personal research information <laughs> is definitely something that I've learned along the way. I think, you know, at first it felt like, Oh my gosh, I found this treasure chest. You know, <laughs> Like look at all these like things I get to learn about, you know, cause I'm not in the military and haven't been ever. And so it's definitely been like learning of, okay, where, where can I insert myself and where can I let him have his space with these issues for sure. <laughs> That's funny. Definitely. Well, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, do you guys have kids or? We have a dog. Yeah, we just got a puppy. Yeah, about six weeks ago, we got a little rescue. So, yeah, no cool. kids. No. Yeah. That'll help. That's funny. Yeah. Well, it'll. I mean, it, it's. I guess even if uh, if you did have kids, you probably wouldn't be able to insert yourself into the <laughs> the research data. But no. Um, so. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you can disclose at all, but like, do you guys have any subjects yet? Um, no, we've just, uh, we just went through uh, something called an IRB approval. And that's basically to make sure, you know, you're not harming anybody. Your research is ethical and approved by the university and by, you know, regulation boards and all, all of that good stuff. And so we just got approval on all of that. And it's, we've kind of spent the summer uh, in downtime of classes, training up research assistants and getting everybody on the same page and stuff like that because it is a pretty in-depth study. Um, and so we are looking for our first sign-up. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody in the Southern California area, come our way. That'd be great. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I hope. I, I kind of have a couple in mind um, from a couple of the people that we talked to. So uh, I, if I have to, I'll call them out. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, so how, what is what is a, a day like? And, again, I know you can't disclose everything, but, like, what is it? What is a visit to you guys going to look like? Um, yeah. So, um, one day, uh, you know, there's certain times where it's more focused on the father and certain times it's more focused on the child. And, um, we kind of at separate times, we always start off with informed consent. So, you know, exactly what you're getting into. You walk into our lobby, we kind of meet and greet, ask some basic questions about you, um, your family, et cetera. Um, and make sure everybody's good to go and willing to proceed and feels comfortable with everything that's going to take place after that. And then we go upstairs into a big tower and (laughs) kind of get you set up for, uh, for some tests and for some uh, conditioning that we do uh, to collect different types of data. 
and I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I have to be super vague. Um, <laughs> um, and so we do that about two days in a row, I believe, um, or at family's convenience, uh, which can be confirmed over a consent phone call. Um, and those take anywhere from two to three hours, depending on the individual. So I'm only yeah. vaguely familiar with the scientific method, but you guys have to have some kind of hypothesis for all of this. Yes. What is what is y'all's kind of goal of... Uh, I know you use data collection, and you guys have uh, have a goal of... To, to, to know the, the, the situation better so you guys can fix it. Do you guys have an idea of what's kind of starting it or what the actual outcome is going to be? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can disclose all of that or not. But. Yeah, um, well, I'm not the lead researcher. I'm trying to kind yeah. of like tiptoe around, you know, and not ruin the whole <laughs> episode. No, no, um, it's fine. It's fine. Um, if you can't so answer, yeah, you looking- can't answer it. It's obviously it's a, it's a in-progress thing. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at uh, some clinical, like more emotional types of transmission and then some more uh, bodily or biological transmission okay. um, of trauma from father to child and how that is affecting uh, the child in multiple aspects of development, emotional coping, etc. Um, That's yeah. fine. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I know. It's fine. Well, no, because it, it's... It's a super interesting topic, and it's a, and it's going to help out tons and tons of people. And so, mm. you got to have some kind of baseline, and you got to have some kind of secrecy because you don't want to disclose everything, or you don't want a competitor to come, kind of pull it out and beat you guys yeah, to the punch. That would be very upsetting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I put a lot of unpaid hours into this. <laughs> awesome. I know. I was actually it. It relates so well. Like I was just uh, on our friend Mike Steadman, who runs Ironbound Boxing's uh, website, um, and he like one of their taglines is that Project Doug looks quote about how it's easier to uh, raise a strong child than it is to fix a broken man, and it's so true. Like the whole preventative medicine thing is just so so crucial. Mm-hmm. So. And it, I mean, to, to a lot of like ground pounding guys, it, it's very hard to see the value of, of research. Um, but it is, it is, you know, imperative that these things like get done. Oh yeah. No, definitely. Research is kind of interesting because the more I've gotten into, uh, into my career, I guess you could say in psychology, you see that there's, there's really this like divide between people in an ivory tower doing research and i i do go to school at a massive research institution it's what they're known for um mm-hmm. and then there's clinicians who are kind of like the ground pounders of psychology and they're the ones actually seeing patients they're actually doing the work and so it's like we have all this great data on you know trauma stress depression transition all that kind of stuff with military and civilians and it's really difficult to translate that into uh what do we do with that in the clinical sector? And uh, I think going mm-hmm. forward in my career, that's something I really want to work to close that gap because it is hard to implement everything that we take from research into a clinical setting. It's like, okay, great. We know that this gene contributes to being more susceptible to this type of depression. What do you do with somebody who comes in? Like, you don't tell them, hey, you have this gene, so Can't tough, <laughs> tough nuts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, flat, flat so feet. You can't do that. And so that's something I think the field of psychology is really going to start to see a shift um, between integrating research and in, uh, in clinical practice. Hopefully, awesome. wow! Well, this is exciting yeah. times, not only for you but for for us and future generations. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of change going on. I mean, 
mental health is getting more attention, both positive and negative, I think, than it ever has gotten. You know, it went from being defined as shell shock to PTSD to, you know, some people still deem it like, oh, you're just crazy. You know what I mean? Or, oh, you shouldn't be allowed to be in the military. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Like, (laughs) let's analyze all this. Let's really collect some some solid understanding of our situation, you know, and uh, yeah, it's even more unique within the setting of military psychology because it is so unique to the rest of the population. I think so. Awesome. Was there anything that you want to add here at the end uh, where they can contact you or where they can find more at and more at? Yeah, if you want to just go over the details again, just to pound it in at everybody and, uh, and we'll put it in the podcast notes as well for anybody looking to just uh, copy and paste. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in coming to uh, University of California, Irvine, uh, with some financial reimbursement and all that good stuff, um, you're more than welcome to call us. We do have a phone number. Um, you'll leave a voicemail at 949-535-0828. Um, and then we do have an email as well. So if you rather email, it's UCI Military Families Study at gmail.com. So, and yeah, That's long. You we'll guys. put it in the, the description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we're just hoping it helps. So, you know, don't, don't be afraid. Please come. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Please come participate. Yeah. And and what about you, Alex? Anything to add? Proud of my life. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good (laughs) idea. Good. That's the way to be. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, coming on last minute. Uh, I'm really, really glad we could uh, throw it together and, and uh, put out a good episode for everybody. Hopefully uh, you get a couple of responses from our following for, for what you're doing. Yeah, that'd be great. You'd love that. Uh, the biggest, I, I think the biggest misperception is that somehow we're damning. Nothing, nothing really can stop us.